0: Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right, my friends. You've tuned in to America's Home for Conservative, Not bitter Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, and the left is excited. Oh, yes, they're excited. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, which we'll talk about Justice Breyer today as would the program unfolds. But he has announced his retirement from... The Supreme Court. So, this of course means that we are going to have <clears throat> a nomination of a Supreme Court justice. We are going to have a confirmation process, and we're likely going to have another liberal justice on the Supreme Court. Now, Breyer is already a leftist, Breyer is a Clinton uh, appointee back from 1994. And so it's it's not a net loss or gain and 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 let me say this. I've said this before. I want to say it again because I think it's critically critically important. The idea when I talk about conservative justices and and folks, terms can get very confusing. Terms can get uh, very, very confusing when applied in a in a generic way or in a general sense. sometimes we miss. Some of the, the subtleties or the, the important differences between what it means to be a conservative um, in a political sense, an ideological sense, versus what it means to be a conservative on the Supreme Court. And let me – maybe I should do a better job as I'm talking this out. Maybe I should do a better job of using terms that I think are more appropriate. In fact, you'll often hear me I, – I refer – I don't really use the term. I, I know that I do. In fact, the program, back when we started this uh, program as a podcast in 2015, the first name of this program was not the Todd Huff Show. It was the Antidote to Liberalism. And that was just playful. Some, You know, it's amazing. I had some folks who really thought that it was some sort of, uh, you know, my goodness, what's this guy trying to imply? I mean, are we going to. I don't know what they, where they were taking this other than they thought it was some nefarious sort of scheme. Uh, I just meant the antidote to liberalism is truth. That's the way I look at it. But I don't even – I don't think it's appropriate to call what we're dealing with today liberal. I, it is, and, and I know in a in, in a sense – in the sense of having communication with people – and the general term liberal meaning someone who wants more government, conservative meaning someone who wants less government. Um, you know, I understand that, but I typically refer to them, or it's my intention to, to refer to them as the radical left. And I think it's important to see that worldview as such because it's not just someone who thinks, yeah, we should have a little bit more government here, versus a conservative thinks, yeah, we shouldn't have quite as much. It's not We're talking about a drastically different worldview and ideology. We're talking about folks that are radically different. And I use that term deliberately, intentionally. It has meaning. It's important to understand radically different, not just slightly different or leaning one direction or the other. These folks fundamentally, fundamentally disagree with the foundations of the United States of America. And it is not all Democrats it is not all liberals, but it is the part of the movement that's driving this country towards some of these radical concepts. The radical left are the people who want to see, uh, you know, things like defunding the police until suddenly it doesn't work and it can, and it uh, harms them at the polls. The radical left are people who want to see open borders. The radical left are people who um, are for some of these crazy transgender policies and so forth, denying reality that there is such a thing as a biological male and biological female and all this, all this stuff that the folks that come up with phrases and terms that I literally have to almost diagram to understand what they're talking about when they talk about cisgender, this and that. I mean, you know what I mean? That, that whole, that whole thing, that whole movement, uh, and, and I can look, I'm not for folks who have issues and struggles and and confusion there i'm not mocking them i'm saying to to try to tell the rest of us that that sort of thing should be uh you know normalized or uh that we should maybe even tell our young children maybe they're not boys and girls and maybe they need to uh you know explore these things that that we're into a realm now where that it's it's a radical it's a radical concept and notion it's not it's not what normal people who just have different viewpoints on on an issue um there's there's hard, it's hard to find a middle ground on a lot of these things that the radical left is anti-gun it's not enough for them not to want to carry a handgun they don't want you to have a handgun or me or any weapon whatsoever the radical left is the group who misrepresents intentionally many times, um, guns, for example, assault rifles, weapons of war, right? This is the group that comes up with this these phrases and terminology. The radical left is not just pro-choice, they're pro-abortion. The radical left are the people who celebrate their abortions, not someone who had an abortion um, when they were younger. Due to whatever circumstances, and later comes to, re, you know, to regret it or at least to struggle with it, which seems to me to be a, a very normal thing to go through, not to celebrate it and take a microphone uh, in Washington D.C. and to celebrate and to scream and clap and cheer that you've had multiple abortions or whatever. My my point is, they're not. There, there's there's no real compromise. Uh, with some of these ideas that's being perpetrated by the radical left. And it's not all Democrats and it's not all liberals, but it's the part of the party that is part of America that's doing the greatest amounts of harm. Now, there are other groups that harm America too. I don't mean to say that. I, I'm I'm simply saying when it comes to the people that are driving this bus the furthest away from what the founders uh, wanted from an ideological perspective the type of system type of society type of government we have it's the folks on the radical left so that's political right these are political ideas and um positions and so forth that that's for politicians that's for public debate that's for people to cast their votes on which worldview which you know which vision for america they want that's what people elect every 2 or 4 years depending upon the office every 6 years for US senate right that's that's political now we do ourselves disservice here by talking about liberal and conservative justices because because i will tell you a supreme court justice or any judge in the judicial branch no matter what tier or level or you know appellate court circuit court whatever supreme court um, the real issue there is not ideology. The issue there is whether or not ideology should be directing the decisions being made by these justices, these um, these these judges, um, these courts, whether or not a political ideology and worldview should be the driving force. And so when I say conservative justice, I think first and foremost I think of those like currently justice Clarence Thomas, I think of justice Antonin Scalia, I think of justice Alito today. I'm I see some things with justice uh, justice Gorsuch that makes me you know have those those thoughts as well. Um when I think liberal justice, I of course think of Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she was on the court, uh, Stephen Breyer, who's the one who's who's retiring, uh, you know today. So, but really, when I use the word liberal justice, really the correct term I think would be an activist judge or um, someone who is legislating from the bench versus interpreting the law and the constitution and applying what those things say and what you know as they were originally intended by the framers in the case of the constitution and by legislators in the case of statutory law and applying those to the best of our abilities right there can be different opinions on what the intent of a law would be but to totally disregard it and to totally just say I don't like the law, that is the problem. And so when I use the term liberal justice, and it's it's just something that almost is knee jerk, that's not the right word to use. It's not even leftist. In fact, folks, the tr- truth be known, truth be known, if if Supreme Court justices, if if judges applied. Interpreted the law fairly without, um, you know, to the best of their ability. We're all we're all human. We're going to make mistakes, and sometimes your ideology may make you see a law a little bit differently than the other side. And there can be genuine disagreement. There, there certainly is room for that in some of these complex cases. There's no doubt about it. But to say things like what uh, Justice Stephen Breyer has said, who who literally defended the notion of the importance of understanding and, dare I even say, applying foreign law. I mean, he did this several years ago. I think he had written a book, and he was speaking about this this very thing, and he defended this notion, this notion that it's important, and I think he said 15 to 20% of the cases, to understand and have, he didn't use the word globalist, but to understand foreign law, to which, A person who's, um, you know, someone who, as an originalist say, someone who wants to understand what the text meant, what they were trying to accomplish with it, and try to apply that as fairly as possible. When they wrote those folks, when they wrote the words down, whether it be at the Constitution, be it the law that were you know laws that were later passed, the words were intended to mean a specific thing, and so best. As best as possible, as much as, as it is within the power of a person, a trained justice, a trained uh, judge, Supreme Court justice, to do these things, he or she should try to fairly look at what the law says and apply it. Even even if it goes against their ideology, their worldview, that's the job of a, of a judge. In fact, one of the – was it Kavanaugh? I think it was Kavanaugh. It could have been Gorsuch. It was one of these Trump nominees um, who, thankfully, Trump nominated and and saw the confirmation of three Supreme Court justices. Thank goodness. Um, but one of them, it was one of those two. It was one of the men. It wasn't Amy Coney Barrett. Um, I just remember. I just can't picture which which one said it. He he said, you know, when he was asked questions by the Senate when he was sitting before answering questions. It might have been Kavanaugh. I think it was Kavanaugh. When we were going through the whole circus of all that stuff with Kavanaugh, which I don't want to rehash that. Which, by the way, <laughs> I don't know who the nominee is going to be for Biden, but you're not going to see that. You're not going to see what the Democrats did to Brett Kavanaugh, and then and and let me be on record of saying we shouldn't see that. Let me be on the record of saying that for for you who are Democrat and liberal, hear me say that. That's not the way any Supreme Court justice nominee should be. Handled that was way out of control, that was intentional. that um, that could have been handled much, much differently, even you know, assuming that all those concerns were legitimate concerns of senators, not just uh, grandstanding and trying to stop a nominee from getting on the court and and flipping the balance towards those that would be called conservative justices and so forth. Um, but th- it's important to note this. As Kavanaugh said, if you don't disagree with some of the cases, some of your decisions, then you're not doing your job. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's what he said. And he's right. If you agree with all of your decisions, that means that you're probably <laughs> when I say agree with your decisions, I mean, you know, you interpret a law and if every single time you interpret the law and it's exactly how you would have created it, it's probably not The way you're probably not doing it right, because there are certainly laws that all people of all different, you know, ideologies are going to disagree with. And so that's the point. Kavanaugh is saying, look, you have to be true to the text, the intent, uh, what was trying to be accomplished. You know, just like I said, the intent is, is, is really the original intent is very, very critically important. And so that's really what we're dealing with. Are we going to have activist judges and justices who do things like cite foreign law? You've heard me say on here before, we're half a step away from citing Harry Potter novels, which why not? If we can cite foreign law, um, why can't we cite a Harry Potter novel? I mean, at some point the wheels begin to come off this, this thing rather quickly. Um, so the issue again is not so much liberal conservative. In fact, a, If someone is personally a a radical leftist or what someone might just call liberal, if they can accurately – if they can fairly apply the law and interpret it in such a way as it was originally intended to be interpreted and applied, then they should be able to – they should, in theory, be able to do a job that's fitting of a Supreme Court justice. It's the activist mindset, and that activist mindset can happen on either side of the aisle. It just typically seems to happen on the leftist side of the aisle in general. Now, I'm not saying it's never happened the other way, but in general, the left uses the court to bypass Congress. I mean that that has happened for, for decades. It's, it's how gay marriage was passed. Gay marriage was – I think it won a couple of uh, – what referendums, just small things. They got it lost like thirty some in a row, or something like that. Twenty something, thirty something different times around the country. And then suddenly, the Supreme Court finds a constitutional right to gay marriage and supersedes whatever law you know that they say it's constitutional. So now there's really no statute that can, you know, deal with that. And so there you go. They've accomplished their political agenda without having to do it politically. They did it through the legal, uh, through the justice or through the judicial system. And that's the problem with these justices. So when Biden, and I'm going to take a break here, when Biden makes his nomination for the next Supreme Court justice, who, whoever that's going to be, I mean, we'll see. We do know some, some things about this, this person, which is also problematic. Um, some of the things Biden has said in the past. I mean, if he sticks to it, and we'll talk about that as the program unfolds. But the real issue isn't necessary if this, necessarily that this person votes Republican or Democrat. What really matters is this person an activist. Is this someone um, who's going to try to advance a political agenda from the Supreme Court? Right, That's really the issue. And the Senate should take that seriously. And again, Republicans are in the minority. Um, but in theory – a Democrat nominee could do that. In practice, it's much less likely that that's really the case. And you don't have to be a scholar to see this. I mean you, you can just read some of the decisions or listen to some of the arguments and look at some of the votes, and you can see you can see the difference between applying the law and the Constitution versus pushing an agenda and sometimes coming up with some uh, – what's a mental – Gymnastics to come to a conclusion that they've already desired. So, lots more to say about this. Again, Stephen Breyer, Supreme Court Justice, who was appointed by Bill Clinton in 1994, is retiring. There will be a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Biden is going to get his chance to nominate a justice, and we'll talk. We're talking about that today. So, time out, my friends. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back here in just a minute. <laughs> My friends, so, 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 my, well, let's, let's, let me go ahead and mention one of our advertisers. Your advertisers are, you know, we provide to you a group of people that we, you know, present to you, let them make, you know, their, their, their case, explain their business, what the things they do so that you can then choose those that, you know, have the services and products and so forth that you need to um, to get, to get solved. And so um, we don't specifically say, "Hey, work with this particular vendor." What we do, or this particular company, or whatever, what we're really doing is saying, "Hey, this is this is a group of people that we've gotten to know." that we've talked with, we know that, you know, just the types of things that they do and the type of people that listen, the folks that advertise um, are providing services to people uh, that are a lot like the people in the, you know, listening audience. And so that's the way we go about doing this. Um, and so we have this website, this webpage, supportouradvertisers.com, and you'll see a list of our advertisers there and all we all we really ask is if you're in the market for a product or service, just check that page out. See who helps make this program possible. Don't be a freeloader. I'm kidding, right? By the way, you're listening to to radio podcasts for free, but the folks that make it possible are the advertisers, and so um, it's important to me that you know that you um, that that I do my best to say, hey, when given the opportunity. Consider the folks that advertise. Supportouradvertisers.com is where you can find out who those folks are, what they do, and um, if you reach out to one of them, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Todd Huff Show. So let's get back to Justice Breyer. There's so many things I want to get into uh, into here with this. Um, <laughs> there's there's multiple uh, different angles of this this whole just what's happened here, right? So first and foremost, he's announced his retirement at the beginning of the last chance that Democrats have to replace the guy. Assuming that, I'm not making any predictions here, but right now, folks, it does not look good for the Democrats. These things always come down to individual elections, individual candidates. I mean, there's been some, you know, Republicans who have snatched defeat uh, from the jaws of victory here but that being said um it doesn't look good for democrats and they know it and there's a lot who have announced retirement which that's not always i think i saw 29 uh 29 who are not running again who are retiring and that's not necessarily uncommon you know it's a midterm election so the, the president his party the party of the president in power usually sees seats go away, but it's way worse than that. It's that this president was never really given any sort of a mandate. People didn't vote for him as much as they voted against Trump and all that sort of stuff, right? I mean, that's that's about as crystal clear as anything in politics in my estimation can be. So the first thing to note is that he retires when Democrats can still make the nomination. Now, I don't Fault him or blame him. I just think that it's worth noting um, that it's at least (laughs) this had to be part of the calculation. And I don't want, I mean, I don't know all the reasons and so forth from, from Briar. I mean, he's 80, I think 83. So, um, and, and I get it. I, if I, if I was Thomas, I wouldn't want to retire right now. You know, there's another part of Thomas or just another part of me, I guess, that would probably think, you know what? It's, I mean, I can't, it's like Washington said, George Washington, when he decided not to run for a third term, he basically said, hey, if someone else can't lead this country, this is never going to make it anyway. So I, there's a part of that I agree, you know, understand, relate to, agree with as well. But I also understand if you know, if you know that you're going to make a vacancy – and that someone's going to be appointed that's going to further a political agenda and not do, in your eyes, the job of a Supreme Court justice and interpret the law, whether it coincides with their ideology and worldview or not, then I understand the hesitation of resigning when the opposite party's in power or, you know, resigning when your party's in power. So that's the first thing that I think is worth. Worth noticing, and I don't put it. I'm not saying that this happened, but folks, D.C. is not a is not a big city, especially when you get down around the hill. I mean, these this is a there's a lot of bureaucrats. Don't get me wrong, and there's a lot of people that have moved in there um, to to you know because there's so much money that's going to D.C. All these nonprofits and businesses that do things that I think some of us don't even have the I mean, I don't even we don't even know all the degree of the types of things that are happening there and the money exchanging hands and all that. And not everybody that goes there is bad. I'm, I'm just saying it's a big bureaucratic mess, but it's still a relatively small group uh, of people. There's nine Supreme Court justices, right? There's throughout our history, uh, 45 different men who've served as president. I know. Biden is the 46th president, but Grover Cleveland was the 22nd and 24th president. And by the way, Trump on the golf course yesterday said that he's the 45th and 47th president, which I love. You want to know why I love some of the things and some of the you know, some of the the things I see from Trump? that's why. I, I love that. He knows he knows how to play it, he knows how to drive a narrative. He knows how to keep people engaged. and I love it. I love that part of it, right I do. And so I think that's a, that's a good thing, that Trump's able to do to stay relevant in ways that no former president has really been able to do. Now, granted, Trump can still run, and normally we don't have presidents out there that are maybe considering running again. You know, Obama served two terms, Bush served two terms, Reagan, Clinton. Uh, now, Bush Senior served one, but you know he was defeated by Clinton. He was older than he didn't run again. The point is. The point here is that it's it's a tight-knit, small community. I mean, there's 100 senators and 435 representatives. There's nine Supreme Court justices. Um, and the idea, especially when you understand the appetite and the drive of the radical left, and they can see the writing on the wall, the idea that they went to him or that Breyer, you know, they, they just had some open dialogue about this or, you know, quietly had open dialogue about this. Behind closed doors had open dialogue about this. It's not a stretch to think or to wonder. I don't want to make an accusation, but to say, you know, they might have said, look, it doesn't look good for us. Um, We're probably going to lose in 2022. And, you know, if Biden's Biden's still going to be president in 2022, presumably, I mean, unless someone tries to enact the 25th Amendment as a you know in insatiably trying to, to try to do with Trump but he's going to be the president he's going to make a, nomin- a nominee no matter which who's in control of the senate but what happens if the senate blows up some of those nominees or what happens if that makeup of the senate makes Biden have to get someone who's less progressive and less of a liberal or radical leftist activist from the bench now Suddenly, there's some meat to this. There's some teeth to this, and it's not out of the realm of possibilities that that was. I, I think it's probably a safe bet that this was at least part of the part of the calculus here, right? I mean, it just sets up way too way too nicely. I just want to point it out because I, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with it. I'm or anything unconstitutional. I just I think it's important. That we really understand what we're up against. This is a group of people. This doesn't casually happen or naturally happen. Or uh, they're they're insatiable for their desire to see this country push towards the radical left in ways that I think many conservatives cannot relate to because government is God to these radical leftists. To the radical leftists, and I distinguished between or differentiated, I should say, between those folks and. Uh, just typical liberals and Democrats. But for the radical left, government is their god. This is effectively one, one of the high priests in the god of the United States government, the god of radical leftism, right? So this is a big deal, and it's a big deal for conservatives too, but I think for different, different reasons. I don't want someone there who's going to further my ideology no matter what. That may sound contradictory to you, but I'm someone who believes that we need principled people staying in their lane following the Constitution. The left says, I don't care. (laughs) We don't care. The ends justify the means to the left. If they win, they don't care. To the radical left now, and that's what we're up against. So there's other aspects and elements of this uh, retirement news and this upcoming nomination as well that I want to get into, There's some things to think about and to frame as we head into this Inevitable, inevitable—you know—process here of looking at a Supreme Court justice and who that's going to be, and so forth. So, quick time out. Continue when we get back, my friends. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. You know, I let the music go longer. I'm working on something here behind the scenes, but. Uh, let the music go longer than I normally do. I've been anxious and chomping at the bit, as we say uh, in the on the hillbilly side of my family. <laughs> but um, so I just was caught up there. I still want to talk about this and get into a lot of things. So there's some fascinating things happening here. So it's not just this concept of you know what the role it's, it is, right? The role of a Supreme Court justice. It's not so much their ideology. It's really their view – it's not their political ideology. It's, it's their view of the role of a Supreme Court justice. And really, do they believe that they should engage in writing the law, interpreting foreign law, applying that as they see fit, getting the desired result they want, or is it truly interpreting what's written? That's That is the most important thing, although I will tell you that typically people who – Are radical leftists, again, because of things I've said earlier, which is, you know, to the radical left government's got, and they, they think anything that advances their ideology, whether or not it's even the way it's supposed to be done, they're, they're okay with. There's some exceptions to this, but that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. So on top of all that, for top, on top of all that, we've got this, the, (laughs) the left now needs they now need Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to confirm the, whoever the nominee is, right? And they've gone after Cinema and Manchin. In fact, the Arizona you may remember—I just mentioned this. Uh, I don't know if it was this week or late last week—but Kirsten Cinema was censored by her own. Party in the state of Arizona because she did not come out and oppose the filibuster. That's right. She didn't oppose the filibuster. So that's worthy of being censored in today's Democrat Party. I should say the Dramacrat Party in the state of of Arizona. So now they need now the Democrats need cinema. Same with Joe Manchin. You might have remembered also some activists chasing down these uh, senators, places like parking garages where Joe Manchin was confronted and harassed by a lot of rowdies and folks that were getting uh, well, I don't know, a little, a little aggressive to say the least. And Kirsten Cinema was chasing to the women's room. Remember that she was chasing to the women's room. I don't even can't remember what that issue was at the top of my head. I probably could if I stopped to think, but I'm just picturing these things. So now they need their votes. Now I don't want to imply that I don't think that Cinema and mansion will come around because I think when the dust settles, the democrats are likely going to get everybody on board to pass this but it is an interesting thing to watch here and let's talk about who biden who biden wants i think that's important as well you know if a conservative i think a conservative should approach it like this we want the person who is best equipped with you know the legal mind and the the principles To apply the law and the Constitution as was uh, intended by those who wrote, whether it be the Constitution or statutory law, to apply those things fairly and equitably even if they don't like the result. That's what I would tell you a conservative just – and again, maybe we should say uh, an originalist and not someone who's trying to legislate from the bench, someone who's literally doing the job of a judge instead of someone trying to do the job of a senator or congressman. That's what a conservative should want. But what does Biden want? I'll let you think about that and we'll talk about it after the break. But what, what's the definition? What are the qualifications? Again, it's it's much the same of how he uh, regarding how he picked his vice president of the United States. Quick time out, my friends. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. Be back here in just a minute. <laughs> So, I mean, there's lots of elements and, and aspects of this thing that are going to be, I think, interesting to say, to say the least. The other is Chuck Todd, the, the Democrats and and the leftists in the media. Um, Chuck Todd is, is out there. I saw this in Fox, at foxnews.com. Um, he thinks that this is a great opportunity for Biden to reset his presidency. <laughs> it's, I just... It bothers me, and I get it to a point. I, I just, I, I am way too much about ideas, that, you know. Than than this to to look at this as an opportunity to, to reset his presidency and to nominate someone who is whatever, right? I mean, and, and that's my point in the question I, I I left you with last last segment. Biden's on record of saying that he wants to nominate the first black woman to the supreme court. Now let me be clear. I have literally zero problem with this. Zero problem with any race, ethnicity, gender, you know, serving on the supreme court. I've already told you my criteria. It's about how they do the job and what they're they're trying to do and what they see their role as. Um Clarence Thomas, well, Clarence I love Clarence Thomas. I don't love Clarence Thomas because of anything about his race or whatever. I love what he stands for and how he applies the principles that I've just laid out this program ever so brilliantly, by the way. But I just to the left, it's always about how can they benefit. And I get it's politicians in general. So it happens on both sides, but it seems to be a little bit a little bit stronger on this side to me, on the on the side of the leftists. How can he reset his presidency? He nominates a, a black woman, and suddenly that's going to make people what? Forget about inflation. Forget about the open border situation we've got. Forget about stumbling and fumbling his way into almost a, a war with you know, concerning Russia and Ukraine. I mean, what what in the world does this even mean? It this is how this is how superficial the left is, and it's how superficial they think we are. This could mean whoever he nominates to me their gender and race and all that stuff again it's about whether or not the person demonstrates that they are willing to stand up for the constitution and the rule of law and interpret and apply it interpret it and apply it fairly that's the issue unfortunately i think we know uh, with biden's ideology and how the left have used the court that the, the chances that that they're going to nominate someone that meets my criteria is about one in a gazillion. So there's a lot of things, a lot of angles to this, and I'm going to take a break. Sit tight, my friends, back here in Mere Moments. Welcome back, my friends. Again, I mean, when, we, when Biden chose Kamala, to be vice president. I just remember this. I remember, and I remember talking about this. The only thing he mentioned as criteria for his vice presidential candidate was that she was going to be a black woman. And again, I have, just for the record, it should be obvious, if you listen to this program for any length of time, that's not the issue to me, what the person's race and gender is. What's the issue is that that's part of the criteria. And Biden actually said... He wants the court to represent everyone. The court doesn't represent. The court interprets the law. It just, there's so much wrong here, folks. I got to go out of time. Have a great day. STGC tomorrow. Take care.